How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is our 104th episode, and as always, I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and as always, George is here. He's my best friend and my co-host. What's up? Nothing much, man. How you doing? You just bought a plane ticket for next week. Yes, I'm going to be in LA for the premiere of our Halloween fan film. Sponsored by Spirit Airlines. Sponsored by Spirit Airlines, I wish. Yeah, we're having a responsible Halloween party next Friday at Cortland's house to launch the movie. Well, the party will be after. We'll do the launch (laughs) early in the morning. Yeah, it'll be cool, man. Um, Excited to see the finished product. The trailer is doing really well still. It's at like 25,000 views, which is great. I'm really really happy with that. And uh, Yeah, I saw it today. Um, It's the, like trending article on bloody disgusting so that's really cool of course the only two negative comments come from their terrible community <laughs> so guys like i never get why people get together and make a feature length uh fan film it's like well it's 12 minutes <laughs> did not thing. make a feature length fan film so also i say in the video why we made it <laughs> <laughs> so thanks and this other guy was like uh official trailer for fan films Pfft what are we doing and i was like okay that's nice thank you you always have the cynics that. out there and then we got one negative comment on uh on the like youtube channel which uh is fine it wasn't even that bad it was like pretty actually nice if judging by all the other ones so no complaints and then after i record this we're shooting a horror version of among us Cortland got like a spaceship set and i get to be a monster which is gonna be fun so pretty exciting stuff going on yeah got a lot of stuff in the in the works it's halloween season we're already like eight days deep into the month which sucks it's going so fast (laughs) but every game out there has a halloween update and the one that i've been messing around with other than animal crossing which we can talk about after is destiny 2 the festival of the lost now i've never actually done it we talk about it every year and they've been doing it for a long time but like this is the first year i've actively been fucking around with it and the armor set like ornaments that they made are so good they're all like classic monster themes i the only one i can remember i think was in destiny one and i remember there's like a couple consumable items that would make you explode into a bunch of bats and one that would turn your head into a flaming pumpkin so i remember that like that's really the only specific memory i have from playing destiny around this time but i know they definitely do have thematic events for halloween for sure uh, which is cool i mean they seem to have gone all out this year like you said the three different like classic monster costumes look awesome it's really cool actually i'm i'm having a ton of fun just messing around in it and the difference is from that destiny one version we played so you get the ornaments from the store and you can just make any armor you have look like the Halloween armor, which is cool. I think it was like 10 bucks. And then I had a leftover currency. So I got this like thing that makes it so when I spawn in, it does like ravens flying out. Oh, that's pretty which cool. Which is cool. So I like that a lot. And there's like a bunch of cool stuff that they added. There's new guns and uh, like the event itself has some new levels you can do. And I found out that there's an item at the end of the quest line for uh, festival of the lost you kind of have to grind a little bit to get 45 of these items but then you get a special item at the end that they haven't like revealed what it does but usually when they do something like that it ends up being something pretty cool and like unique so i'm gonna probably grind it out because that game is just so much fun like the core game is just so well made that i can do with the grindy 
crap yeah, once like in a while. Yeah, like shooting mechanics in that game are so tight that if you're just in the mood to play a first-person shooter, it's pretty hard to beat that game loop. Yeah, and I also like how they do their battle pass where the higher you rank up, your boosted XP just keeps ticking up and you level up faster, obviously, that way. So last night I was playing and I went from level 25 to 32 on the battle pass in like an hour and a half. So that that makes it way more fun because I hate battle passes that are like slow or make you do daily challenges and shit to keep up with them. It's just annoying. Yeah, and I know they the their battle passes give out quite a few like actually really good rewards too, armor pieces and exotics, and there's a lot of like actually good materials and weapons and armor you get from that. Yeah, and I think it's cool that the interference quest ended and the way to collect the item you need to unlock the next part of it they're making you do stuff that's going away on november 10th so this week it's like menagerie which i've never done and it's super fun i'm like kind of mad it's going away but i'm hoping they like replace it with something else because i'm actually excited for the update because it's bringing back the cosmodrome and that awesome strike with sepkis prime at the end and the original uh raid and all that crap i just saw that trailer today it looks really cool. I mean, there's like those ice weapons and it seems like they're doing a pretty significant content drop with that. Like it's going to be a lot more to play. Yeah, the whole thing with vaulting all these different planets was that have and and weapons and armor was that having so much different armor in the game and so many different weapons was making it all feel kind of stale because it was impossible to balance it all. So now they're promise was that they were going to start introducing some exotics that are actually fun to use and all the ones in that trailer that they put out today looked fun to use so i'm glad that they're not just like saying shit not delivering on it yeah i mean even the the last exotic i got was the i forget what it was called but it's basically just a laser beam yeah that one's awesome that thing was awesome like that was totally fun to use it's not very broken uh it's just like a really fun weapon to use in that game yeah, so the pass came with three exotics, and two of them that I have, we have the that one you just mentioned, and then the grenade launcher, that's also really cool. So I don't know what the third one does, but I see whenever I go on um, Paul Tassie's articles, he's always got it equipped. So it must be pretty like fun to use if he's using it, because he's the one that I've been reading all the time, talking about how things are changing in a good way. So if he's using that, it must be good. So I'm I'm grinding through that quest now. I jumped back into Destiny 2 kind of recently, played a little bit of it, and then hopped back off. But, I mean, I like my time with it. I just, I think other things got in the way. Other games came out. Yeah, the same thing happened with me because the middle of the season, remember, like, COVID, they had to delay Beyond Light. Like, Beyond Light was supposed to be out now. So that middle of the season, when it, tech, like, starts to get stale, you, you kind of can bounce out and then bounce back in towards the end when they start adding in events like Festival for the Lost and all that shit. Because then you start leveling up doing things that aren't just contact every day. Right. But they had to extend out that dry period for a long time. And I think that's what made people bounce off. But now I think is the good time to jump in because there's actually stuff to do that you haven't been doing for months. Yeah, I'm excited. I definitely want to check out all the the Halloween stuff. Yeah, and since there's no games coming out this this year, um, I'm definitely going to have time to sink into Beyond Light. (laughs) Right, definitely. Uh, But yeah, and then also I'm doing the Animal Crossing stuff. And it's, like, busy work, for sure. The, like, Halloween update. You just basically go to the little raccoon store every day, and they have a different Halloween item. And then they you can also buy one candy a day. I don't know what the candy is going to be used for, but I'm, I've gotten there every day of October so far. So I'm not going to stop that. I'm going to get 31 candies. And uh, the annoying thing is 
to get the DIY plans for all the Halloween stuff, you have to pop balloons. But I don't play the game like for hours at a time. So I haven't gotten a lot of those. But my tried and true method of going on eBay and paying someone <laughs> in China $5 to give me all of the DIY recipes and then all of the materials I need for it has been paying off really well. So I'm probably just going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably worth your five bucks. Yeah, like I don't think of Animal Crossing when I think of grinding. No, <laughs> no. definitely not. Um, yeah, I mean, I hopped on this a little bit. I checked out uh, some of the like first couple of days. I looked through the shop and got a couple of pieces of candy. I think I looked through the new wardrobe stuff. Uh, but I haven't really been getting into it as much as you have. None of the Halloween costumes have popped up in my uh, clothing store, which is annoying because I want them. But I've really went all out on decorating the island. The one thing that's super annoying is that the leaves are still changing slow. I thought like October 1st, at the very least, they would just switch over. But they're committed to like making it sort of real time. And that's annoying. I, I think it would be less annoying if I didn't live somewhere that doesn't have fall. But that's why I'm playing it. It's kind of weird. Also, when you plant the pumpkin starts, you can get green ones, white ones, or orange ones. Obviously, orange are the best. And you use the orange ones to craft the stuff. And then you can customize the stuff with the white and green ones to be different colors. So I've been planting a lot of pumpkins. That's yeah. been my mission. I have a small patch going. But like I said, I haven't really been too diligent about keeping up on all the stuff this month there are a couple other things going on i know fallout has its stuff in the store i'm gonna grab those because i missed them last year um i'm surprised avengers isn't doing anything right like yeah you think their first like holiday they would want to do something thematic for it something kind of interesting or at least have planned to do something like that but they seem to be pretty radio silent other than Maybe it's just because they had to work so hard on fixing all those bugs with their first couple patches. They didn't have time to do a thematic event, but kind of a bummer. Yeah, they've been really good about bugs. We praise them for that. But then now it's been like two weeks since they've updated it at all with like new content. And they haven't really said anything about it. So I hope that they start. Also, um, I really want to check out what Killing Floor 2 does. Because I've been playing a lot of Left 4 Dead. I was like, oh, Killing Floor used to have the best Halloween updates like crazy shit would happen in that game so i own it so i'm probably going to download it and see what's up but there's this also this game called like pumpkin jack or something that's like an action platformer where you're like literally it looks kind of like fortnite like fortnite graphics and there's this like headless horseman type dude with a pumpkin head in hell and it's an action platformer so you have like a gun and a sword it looks kind of like medieval, huh. so I'll probably check that out. It comes out at the end of the month. I'm just like, it's so rare that you see a Halloween-themed game. I don't think releasing at the end of the month is the best idea. Probably should have done it at the beginning of this month, but whatever. Yeah, I didn't want to bitch about it because they're doing the 20th. So okay. It's like, that's better than the 30th. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I hate. We <laughs> talked about that last week, but that's all the game updates I've got. George did the news doc this week. I went through it. There's some cool stuff. Starting out with... We talk about this every year. The real life Camp Crystal Lake is offering tours on Halloween and Friday the 13th in November. So it was at, the first movie we all know was filmed at Camp Nobi Bosco, which is an active Boy Scouts camp in Hardwick, New Jersey. And they're off limits to the public. So you can't just walk up probably because there are children there a lot of the time. <laughs> it's like when people, adults walk into an elementary school while school's in session, it's like weird, right? definitely <laughs> not something you don't want to be caught doing <laughs> very similar situation 
Uh, but Crystal Lake Tours, starting at $89 plus tax, you can go on a short tour directly to the center of the camp, which is uh, the lake. And you'll go to five filming locations in the area and have plenty of time to take pictures. And there's special gifts, I guess. I don't know. John Squires did this a couple years ago. He told us about it in person in uh, Salem. And he said it was really cool. I think he did the full tour, though, which is $159. You do a full tour loop of all the filming locations at the camp. You got a lot of time to take pictures. And uh, you get... Uh, in the dark filming locations, which I guess is not included in the other one. And that's pretty cool. So you can go on October 23rd, 24th, 25th, 30th, 31st, November 13th, and the 14th. I think this would be really fun. I would like to do it one year. It's not like a one-off thing, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's definitely cool they have tours of the filming locations. I don't think it's like necessarily the best. Maybe it might be cool in October, just because it's like kind of a forested area. So you get to see some leaves in different colors and stuff like it might be cool aesthetic wise but i don't know i feel like you'd want to go in the summer not in october november yeah that's a good point because uh friday the 13th isn't a halloween thing i feel like they're just like trying to capitalize on the mainstream crowd of people who are just looking for fun things to do but this is such a hardcore fan deal that like yeah, you're right. Friday the 13th, though, in November, that seems like a good time to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it would be cool, I think. I mean, I like the first movie, uh, and it would just be interesting to see like the filming locations and stuff. I subscribed to this dude on Patreon named Daniel Richmond, and he leaks stuff all the time, and he's usually spot on. Like, I'd say 99% success rate, but he reported recently that there's a new Friday the 13th movie in the works, and... I went and I did some digging and there's nothing's happened with the lawsuit. Like it's still going. So I'd say that's bullshit. So if you've seen like YouTube videos or other podcasts hyping up a new Friday the 13th movie, I'd say there's like a nine out of 10 chance that that's just bullshit. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, it's but, hard to get around ongoing legal battles like that. You know, it's not like you can just make it. Yeah. That's, that's pretty tough to get around. I know LeBron James was allegedly like working on one off to the side while this lawsuit was happening. And then like, lo and behold, he met a brick wall when he realized that he couldn't make the movie due to the lawsuit. So I would just wait until something actually gets announced before believing leaks, because as far as I know, at least there's nothing going on with the Friday the 13th franchise. So next up in things that are going to make me upset, <laughs> Resident Evil in addition to the Infinite Darkness animated show, which looks great, that's an in, in-universe canon movie that's turned into a show with Leon and Claire. That looks awesome. We talked about that already. We've also got the Wesker twins story that's somehow in the same universe as the movies that looks and sounds like shit. There's also a film reboot from Constantin and uh, Johannes Roberts, which we've talked about on the show multiple times. Uh, that's still going like full force. It's actually going to happen. Johannes Roberts is directing and writing. And just so everyone remembers, he's the guy who did 47 meters down one and two, the other side of the door and the strangers pray at night. So he's four for four on terrible movies. <laughs> he is announced that he's bringing it back to its roots in the mansion. And he's got all of the main cast of the first game, like Jill, Claire, Albert Wesker, Leon Kennedy, who's not really in the first game. He's in the second, but it takes place at the same time. And William Birkin. So obviously this is sounding like it's going to be a mashup of one and two. 
kind of probably leading into three, I guess. You could also, I mean, Jill's there, so you could mix in three. And we have a quote from a, a long time ago where he said, I really wanted to go back to the original first two games and recreate the terrifying visceral experience when when I first played them, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe him. So, dude, I, I don't know. People are like, yes, they're finally taking it to the mansion. But the first movie was in the mansion. <laughs> like, and he, they still fucked it up. I don't want to say that this dude doesn't have the ability to produce a good movie, but literally the last four movies he made were terrible. Like, not just bad, terrible. He has one good scene to his name, which is in Strangers Pray at Night, and it's the pool scene. And a lot of people love bringing up the flaming truck from the end of the movie. That's just stolen from Christine. So, like, I don't think... That Can't really give him any- too much credit for that one. <laughs> Yeah, did you see pictures of the cast for this? Yeah, uh, I mean, I recognize a few of them. Um, the Claire character is the main chick from Crawl, who yeah, was so cool. that's good. Casting. I think that's pretty good casting. That's really the only one that I saw that I was like really on board for. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, like you said, it, he's not really made anything that great, so I don't put a ton of stock in him making a really good Resident Evil movie. I mean. If he does stick to the game storyline and the events of those, it's it'd be pretty easy to adapt into a good movie, I feel. But I don't know. I just I don't trust anything coming out of the Resident Evil film franchise universe. Like we've just been burned so many times, I can't get excited for something in their film universe. Yeah, Robbie Amell is Chris Redfield. That's fine. He looks like him. The weird one for me is Avon Jogia, Jogia as Leon. He looks virtually nothing like the character at all. And I saw Boss Logic did a poster where he kind of like redid the hair and the costumes for all these people. Even with the hair, he doesn't look like Leon. He looks more like Carlos, honestly. And then the other weird one is that chick from uh, Ant Man and the Wasp as Jill. She doesn't look anything like her. Like, not, not just because of her skin color being different, just the facial structure and the way she acts. She does not give off the vibe of Jill in any way. Her name's Hannah John Kamen. So, I mean, like, hopefully they get that right, but it's just so bizarre that they, I don't know, they could have run into an Avengers situation where, you know, everyone was kind of weird about the main characters in the game because they look so much like the movie actors, but not really. If they did that in reverse with the movie I feel like people would kind of bitch about it in a way because, you know, Resident Evil 2 and 3 just came out. So if they made them look a lot like those redesigned versions, then it would be, like feel a little weird. But I don't know. They went a little too far off the beaten track, in my opinion, with these this those two characters. I, I'm like, it's not even like I'm holding back excitement. I'm just not excited because this the production company has done nothing of value like virtually nothing the first movie is okay it's all of its best moments are copied from of the living dead movies all of the best zombie moments are direct shots lifted from those movies so it's like they didn't even get that right in the first one which is widely considered to be the best one two through seven are terrible so nothing to be excited for there also they're producing that god-awful tv show that sounds like shit and then you've got johannes roberts who's also never produced anything above mediocre 
So I I just don't get the hype, honestly. I mean, I guess it's just a thing where it's a franchise a lot of people are a fan of, the games, and they want to be excited when they see something come out about that, you know, franchise that they like. But, I mean, you'd figure after you get burned seven times, you wouldn't be excited again. Especially, like, if it was a director that had actually done something cool or it was a significant change in leadership of these movies, like a different production company or, you know, was acquired by somebody else, then I could understand a little bit of hype or a little bit of intrigue. But, I mean, it just seems like it's going to be more of the same, which has never really been that great. I know those movies do well in other countries, but, like, if you want a look that proves... Uh, Constantine has learned nothing and is completely deaf to the audience that they're making these movies for. Check out that teaser for the Monster Hunter trailer because it literally is just Resident Evil with Monster Hunter things in it because, you know, it's still got Mila Jovovich as a soldier on a Humvee with a 50 cal mounted to it and then a Rathalos comes out of the sand. It's like, oh, so it's just like Resident Evil 3. Uh, at the what's it called the apocalypse that's no, two <laughs> so the one after three it's that but with monster hunter monsters instead of a zombie scene right so there are there's obviously no care going into this at all i don't see any reason to think they do anything different with resident evil no i don't no i don't think so at all so i don't want it to be bad i am just almost positive it will be and it's disappointing because the movies are in line with Resident Evil 5 and 6. Kind of 4. 4, four gets a little action at some points, right? And then Capcom looks at that trilogy and they're like, Hey, what if we went back to square one but kept the best aspects of this, the third person shooting, and mixed it with what made the original game so popular? Being fucking horror games. And it's like, lo and behold, they do great. Resident Evil 2 is awesome. Resident Evil 3 is selling really well despite the fact that people are mad that it's short for some like i don't know i don't want to yeah, get the into game that is again severely underrated yeah and then constantin is like let's just not do that <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> let's it's continue to do what we've been doing and create a shitty netflix show right because you could apply the description of this new resident evil movie to the first resident evil movie without seeing any footage so maybe when we see some footage it'll boost our confidence a little bit at least he's using not mila jovovich and side characters acted by people no one's ever heard of he's he's in he's in the right direction and i guess he's played the games i don't know every time one of these directors gets assigned to a game movie they've suddenly been a fan since the beginning like that guy who uh is directing Mega Man, and he was like yo I love that Mega Man is an underdog story. Yeah. <laughs> I love that first game. It's like, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Totally bizarre. So, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think his shot work is good enough to match up to what they could do by translating Resident Evil. So we'll see how it goes. But if I if you're me and you're thinking like me, you're not excited for this. You're going to wait. You're going to be skeptical. You're not going to just accept it for what it is because capcom will listen so if they fuck it up capcom will take it back eventually i know that so don't just like accept it because it sounds cool that's what i'm saying and then a more bad news the batman is moved from october to march 
and it's not coming out in 2021 anymore. Doesn't that suck? I mean, that seems like weird to push it that far out. Um, I know it's had a lot of like production issues, stoppages for COVID. So I understand if they need more time. But to me, this seemed like such a great October movie where it I know. felt like kind of like a horror Batman. So it sucks that it's pushed back to March like that. The thing that makes me nervous about this is that Halloween Kills is coming out in October. And if they delay that again, I don't think they'll delay ends another year. I think they'll try and release two movies in one year. Or push Halloween ends to like a year later than Kills releases. So if Kills gets pushed to like May of 2022, then we'll not only lose one awesome October Halloween movie, we'll lose ends because they'll just delay it to a year after. Like, does that make sense? I mean, I think the only thing that Kills has is I feel like they've been shooting that movie for a lot longer. Like, I think they probably have more of the movie done. Oh, they're done with kills. They've, like, wrapped it. It's just sitting on a shelf right now, ready to go. Okay, so then why would they delay it? I think they're delaying the Batman because of all these other big movies that are getting pushed from 2020. And they don't want... Like, Warner Brothers has the Batman and they have Dune. And that they don't want to make those compete with each other, right? So Dune also got pushed to next year around December. So they didn't want to like Titanfall 2 Battlefield 1 it where they put a huge Batman movie out and then Dune right after that. Like they understand that Dune needs to have some room to breathe. Also, Black Widow is coming out next year. That's a huge Marvel movie. I'd assume it's coming out towards the end of the year. And as big as Batman is, people are kind of iffy on Robert Pattinson and the general public. So they probably don't want to go up against a Marvel movie there's just so much stuff being pushed there. So they can say it's because of COVID, but like, I think it's more because they don't want to have competition. So from that perspective, Universal has been copying everyone around them. So if Universal's like, shit, Batman's moving out of October, we might have to move kills out of October. Also, fucking Regal shut their doors again, which is bad. Like, theaters need to open or else there's not going to be theaters. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely getting to... A really rough point where even the really big fran you know franchisees like uh amc is like ready to close down too so it's getting really hairy for big movie theaters it's not looking great because i think jurassic world dominion was supposed to come out this coming june in 2021 and universal just delayed that a whole year to june of 2022 so that like reading the tea leaves i think that's what they're doing and saying shit like Theaters might not be open at full capacity by June of 2021, which is a really scary thought. Yeah, that would be pretty horrifying. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as Halloween Kills is is involved, I mean, I don't... I really hope that an executive doesn't just say, all right, we'll push it to something not in October. Just because, <laughs> like, that movie has to come out in October. It just seems like the the only logical choice. Anything else would be stupid. I, I the, the person who makes me nervous, honestly, is Jason Blum because he's the one sitting on, uh, he's the devil on Universal's shoulder saying, hey, hey, let's release it. Let's put it on VOD. Look at all of our other movies we're putting on VOD. Like, welcome to the Blum house. And uh, not that he would do this. I don't know him personally, but like all he has to do is say like, look, 
we're putting all these movies like the craft and uh the four movies coming out on amazon and blum on uh streaming and use that as like justification to also put halloween on streaming i i think universal like an executive would look over the fact that the quality of the movies blumhouse is putting on streaming are mediocre at best you know it's not like they're putting their a-tier movies in welcome to the blumhouse it's four thrillers right not even horror movies so that's what worries me uh jason blum being because you know like jason blum's company's profit on halloween it, it relies way less on that movie doing extremely well i've heard that he takes a percentage of the cut that the like movie makes total and calls it a day right like and then distributes it throughout his company so like that's where the bonuses go so like i don't think it matters so much to him if halloween makes 200 million versus 50 million he's still getting paid immediately after the theatrical run is done and then he can move on to the next thing you know it's Mm -hmm. not like universal who spent all the marketing money and put all this cash and knows the potential of what it can make you know like that's a stain they don't want on their record because if Trancast gets mad, they're not getting mad at Blumhouse. They're getting mad at Universal. They're getting mad at the distributor. So Jason Blum can kind of sit in the middle, take his cash and run. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely possible. Um, I mean, you just hope basically. It's you know it's weird times. Anything can happen, but you'd hope that with like the love and care that went into Halloween 2018, that they'd want to retain that same level of care with the sequels but you never know the movie industry it's like i mean look at this resident evil shit right yeah baffling decisions constantly being made like happy death day 3 not happening is a baffling decision that movie was really profitable but universal looked at it and said like nah (laughs) we only we only made 50 million on it instead of like 150 so we don't we don't need to make that cash on a low budget thriller yeah it's really bizarre really strange Love that franchise. The I I don't know if it can even be called a franchise with only two movies, but yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Like Blumhouse is a lot of shit coming out. I, I just can't. I cannot believe how many movies they make. It's crazy. And I honestly seeing the trailers and stuff for that Welcome to the Blumhouse, it looks m- like more stuff that's on par with Into the Dark. It doesn't look like theatrical movies that are being released on Amazon as, as like good faith fun it looks like stuff that they made that would have ended up on amazon anyway or ended up on netflix or maybe hulu you know right it's not like they're taking invisible man and putting that on amazon it's these like they shouldn't do that it's like these hundred thousand dollar you know really really puny movies that we're probably going to be direct to vod anyway making money that's that's the that's the point he's definitely he sold four money. movies to amazon yeah <laughs> you know he also is doing the craft on vod he's going to make a ton of money off that so you know hate the game you know you know what i mean <laughs> right i respect it next up we have a new series from ryan murphy coming to netflix that i will watch one episode of and bounce off immediately it's called monster the jeffrey dahmer story and you've got richard Jank- jenkins on board to play his father um do they have a, a casted person for jeffrey dahmer uh i didn't see a cast person for Dahmer. I uh, just saw basically that the showrunners are this Janet Mock, who's writing and directing with uh, Carl Franklin from Mindhunter, who's like also directing. Okay, I don't know. I watched two episodes of that Ratchet series that we talked about. And it's like more Ryan Murphy bullshit that just like kind of takes a true story and then injects a bunch of crap into it to make it 
more sensationalist, you know? It's like there's tons of weird sex. There's bad dialogue all over the place. All the characters are overacted. So that's kind of just what he's good at delivering. Like, I think that's exactly what he's going to do here. Yeah, it'll be like the American Horror Story version of the Dahmer story where it's just like really weird. Yeah, it's just like right here. The series is also expected to touch on white privilege. It's like awesome. Cool. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm looking for right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. It's definitely a weird choice. The only thing that really kind of piqued my interest was that uh, Carl Franken from Mindhunter is involved at all. I mean, that might just be like a PR stunt, but uh, to me, that gave it like a little bit of legitimacy. That's true. I like that. I don't like that Janet Mock, who did Pose, which is like a fashion show thing, as far as I'm aware, is both writing and directing. That kind of tells that and Ryan Murphy being involved tells you exactly what you need to know. Yeah, I would be a lot more excited <laughs> if the dude who did uh, Extremely Wicked and that, uh, you know, the docuseries yeah, the docu- that on Netflix, on mm-hmm. the, the director of Blair Witch 2, uh, this, what's, it, what's that guy's name? I forgot his name. I, I'd be more excited if he was working on this, honestly, because this, this just, it sounds like something that Ryan Murphy would do. <laughs> yeah, definitely does. Seems right up his alley completely. But these shows do really well. They're really popular on Netflix. Like, whenever his shows come out, it's, like, in the top ten immediately. People love watching Sarah Paulson play the same character and everything in the <laughs> They really do. They really do. <laughs> they just love it. And the more sad news. This is, like, the saddest fucking news week we've had. Yeah, it's mostly bad news. <laughs> yeah, it's all bad news, except for the Friday the 13th thing, right? Is that it? Is that the only good news? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I guess you like some people are taking the Resident Evil thing as good news, but like I'm not. Uh Terrifier 2 is delayed out of Halloween, which would have been the perfect time for it to release. They don't even have distribution on this movie, which is kind of surprising. You'd feel like I, I mean like I personally feel like that's out of all these indie movies that are being produced right now, that's the one I'm trying my best to get. I know that the first one was produced through Dread Central's releasing, which I'm not even sure is a thing anymore. But like from that point i feel like you go with the horror collective which is the same people working on that that's just crazy to me that doesn't have distribution but like they haven't uh finished the movie i guess and covid obviously is making them delay it they think it's going to come out early next year and the director uh damien leone said the last thing we want to do is rush it the cast and crew have truly put an unfathomable amount of effort and time and energy into this film and we're trying to exceed expectations on every level so that's good. It's just sad. You would think that Shutter would buy this in a second. I know. Like that seems like the no-brainer move. You have Shutter Shutter comes in, dumps the money into it and and just buys it and distributes it. I mean, that doesn't help the release huge. date, but still. I mean, that seems like the the number one platform you'd want to put it on. I would guess that Shutter is worried about the fact that this was a kickstarted movie, so they have all of those obligations to meet. Like, Shudder is saying, well, the biggest fan base for this movie already funded it, which means they're definitely getting a digital code and a Blu-ray. So Shudder's probably like, I don't know, like, we might not get as big numbers as we think if on day one we have it streaming and then all these people who paid to get it on day one digitally are going to be, like, watching it there. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's definitely, that's a good point. I didn't think of that. But that's still, I don't know, I think Terrifier's, Terrifier's big. And the fact that they're delaying it says that because if they wanted to make a quick buck, I would just 
fucking cut out what's not done and release it around Halloween still. I mean, people are going to watch it anyway. It's a big franchise. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, like, the... That is, like, the big indie horror movie right now. Like, I would say that's the biggest of, of the recent age. And so, like you said, they could make Quick Buck by just putting it out. I mean, it's definitely good that they're trying to make it quality, that, like, they're going to take the extra time to actually make it something that the fans are going to like. That's pretty cool. Um, just sucks that they couldn't get it out, like, on Halloween, especially because, like, if they could have gotten it out this year, they would have so little competition. That thing would have done insane on on day of, like, day of release. This is another movie that, you know, there's, like, the, the collective horror press just completely ignores. Like, John Squares is the only person I ever see write about it, which is cool, because he hasn't even seen Terrifier yet, because I was talking to him about it. But he underst- like, I think he's a cool dude for writing it up all the time because he understands how big the fan base is. Like, just because it's a throwback 80s horror movie with a ton of gore and a ton of kills, it, it doesn't deserve to be completely ignored by all the people who just want to watch depressing shit all the time. You know, like, if you're a horror journalist, you should be covering this movie because of how big it is. Like, Art the Clown is a modern horror icon kind of whether or not the people writing the narrative of the genre right now want to admit it. It's just, it's crazy to me that we never hear anything about this character. Right. He's kind of swept under the rug and can't even get distribution for the sequel to what was like a, what I would consider a hit indie movie. It's really weird. Honestly. Yeah. Like I'm like kind of bummed out. I really, I was actually kind of looking forward to this because like, I didn't love Terrifier the first time I saw it. Because the story is not there entirely. And some of the kills are just insane. But then I was like, oh, the reason people love this is because it's all, it's like, it's, it's literally like a director. It's a reel for Damien Leone's practical effects, honestly, with like a very loose story cutting in. I'm like, when I saw what it was trying to be, I ended up appreciating it a lot more because it's like, oh, this movie isn't even trying to have a great story. You know, it's, it's, it's just trying to be a cool little gore fest you know yeah and i mean we kind of champion things like that that are you know they kind of know what they are and they lean into it and i think that's kind of like the movie that really kind of defines that idea right it's like people love talking about it as if they're like smarter than it it's like they weren't made this movie wasn't made for you obviously it was made for people who want to watch a slasher movie right it's like a love letter to everybody who grew up on 70s and 80s slashers it's it's very transparent when people are writing articles about Terrifier as if it's not a thinking man's movie. It's like, no shit. <laughs> right. It's not trying to be hereditary. Like, yeah. you, you can guess that from looking at the cover. Yeah, you try to, like, warp your perspective to the point where it's like, you're acting like it should be having something to say about the world around it. It's just like stupid. Also, it has it has all female protagonists. The first movie, and they're all pretty badass. Like Art the Clown kills a lot of them, but they all put up pretty good fights. And the final girl is awesome and terrifying. And the one in Terrifier Two looks sweet. She's dressed up like Wonder Woman, but the costume she's wearing is dope. So it's weird. I don't know. I'm just sad all these movies are getting delayed. But Spell, which we talked about last week and thought was really cool, that's coming on VOD on October 30th. I don't know if we said that. I think that's like a new development. And then 
the next future programming thing. Logan Marshall Green and Frida Pinto are starring in Netflix's home invasion thriller Intrusion. Does this sound cool to you? Uh, I mean, I I like Logan Marshall Green. Like, I think he's been good in every movie that I've seen him in. Um, so if he's a, he's involved, I'm interested in at least seeing what it's all about. The last Netflix home invasion movie was uh, The Open House. Yeah, which was pretty terrible. That one was bad. <laughs> but Logan Marshall Green was in the other like kind of a home invasion movie the invitation which was awesome so that's a great movie i think that's made that movie is made by the lady who did jennifer's body which is crazy was it really but interesting yeah i love the invitation that's just, that's a sick movie but that wraps it up for future programming in the news we've got two movies to talk about this week first one is the cleansing hour the new shutter release which comes out tomorrow probably today by the time you hear this and the log line is another successful exorcism streamed online, or so it seems. Can the exorcist producer and their team bring ratings up? Ratings skyrocket when a real demon gets involved. Where did you get that from? IMDb. What the fuck? That's horrible. <laughs> Damn, that's a terrible log line. So it's written and directed by Damien Levesque, and it stars Ryan Guzman as Max, who is the exorcist who's streaming online. And his best friend, Drew, is played by Kyle Gallner. And yeah, I mean, the log line pretty much just tells you what the movie is. They're streaming an exorcism, and they have Drew's girlfriend, Lane, stand in for an actor that bails on them because they're killed. And then a demon actually inhabits her, and they have to do all this crazy shit to actually be exorcists. And I thought I thought it was, like, solid. Pretty good. What did you think? Yeah, I thought it was, like, cool. Like, I thought the premise is pretty fun. Like, you know, the exorcist that has fake exorcist who's, like, just in it for the money has to, like, actually try and do something with his life. I thought that was, like, kind of interesting, sort of cool plot to follow. Uh, I like the set a lot that they use for the live stream for the exorcisms where it has, you know, all those, like, fake exorcism machines with, like, smoke coming out of it and the uh, Virgin Mary statue that swings off the wall and everything. Like, I thought that was kind of <laughs> cool and interesting. Um, I... Where it lost me was, like, a lot of the effects are have CGI blood or just not entirely practical. Like, I wish I had less of that. There's one awesome practical transformation scene that I really dug and, like, kind of drew me back in for the last act. But overall, it was, like, a really mixed bag for me. But I thought it was cool. Yeah, like, you're right. The effects work is super all over the place i i don't understand why these movies use practical or don't use more practical effects because it's more expensive to do digital in the long run right so I you assume it that just they takes would, longer if they're making a low budget movie like this they would just do it all practical and if this movie was done all practical since their most ambitious effect in the movie is practical they could do everything else that they had tried practically i feel yeah, and I do agree with you that the set is really cool, and that was a really smart move on their part because it probably let them spend the the rest of the budget on getting other locations, like when people are watching the live stream in different countries. That that probably was a little expensive to get filmed, and it makes the movie feel a lot bigger when you're cutting to all those different locations. Even though for the most part it takes place on one set, I thought that was a really cool little twist there. Also, the acting as a whole is pretty on point. Like the Ryan Guzman sells this Max character in a cool way. I just got to be honest, like the fact that he's an exorcist and they're trying to make him like this hot YouTuber <laughs> who everyone loves is kind of like stretching it for me. And I think they 
countered that with some good comedy elements in the movie. You know, like they didn't make it straight up a horror movie. It's definitely a horror comedy. But yeah, there's there's a part with some de- demonic dogs that are totally 100% CGI. And e- even though they look like shit, the effects worked for what was happening in the scene, I guess. And I thought that uh, the actual cuts and gore being practical was smart. Yeah, I mean, that was like just what took me out of the movie. Watching it, I would see you know, CGI blood or like you said, the all CGI dogs and stuff. And it was just like, oh, I wish that looked cooler or like I wish that kind of fit better. You know, it didn't really ruin the experience for me, but it just is kind of like disappointing when you see it. There's one kill that was amazing where <laughs> the new PA is like, fuck this, I'm out after the real demon is there. And then she's running away. The demon throws a crucifix through the back of her head. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was, I was fucking crying laughing at that. <laughs> it was so funny. I also thought it was kind of weird. Speaking of digital effects, the text that they use when they cut to other parts of the world where people are watching this live stream, the text looks like it's out of Transformers. Like, it's very military-esque, and it doesn't fit the movie at all. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd think if this was like a like a Twitch stream, which was like, if this were in the real world, what they would probably be streaming on, it wouldn't have this... Like you said, military, like green overlay with the radar on it and stuff. Like it just looked really strange. I I will say I've been, you know, I I complain a lot when these movies that have live stream elements or like YouTube elements get way too specific with what's happening and then have the wrong brand or like attribute things that are on YouTube to Twitch and stuff like that. This one is so vague about the the live stream itself that I, it didn't bother me it's just like oh views are up or views are down and they have a counter on the wall that shows how many people are watching and i thought that was well done it wasn't like oh we're here on twitch tube yeah, streaming exactly. live to our channel with five million followers and 10 fans subscribe yeah right you know like in a followed use a bunch of jargon from every social media site and mash it all together at the end of the day, I gave it three stars. I think it's worth watching on Shutter if you have a subscription. Like, it's, it's a fun way to occupy your night. It's also an hour and a half long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And, like, some of the drama between Max and Drew gets a little, you know, hammy towards the yeah, end. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was worth watching. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Uh, to me, it felt like a much more lighthearted saw, in a way, where... Yeah. A lot of the plot revolves around, like, characters facing their sins or their past and kind of having to deal with that, which is pretty interesting. Kind of a good way to keep the plot flowing. Uh, like I said, there is, like, a really cool transformation scene. It's worth a watch, like you said. I, I, I think I'd be fine giving it, like, a pretty strong two and a half. Yeah, I had it at two and a half, but then I was like, I gave the shed a two and a half, and this is better than the shed, so I bumped it up. Yeah, that's true. I would say this is like leagues better than the shed. Yeah, the acting, the acting in this movie is like theatrical level. I would say, like it, it never, none of the acting put me off at all. No, definitely not. Which is was weird. It was well acted throughout for sure. Yeah, it felt like honestly they had a theatrical budget at one point, and then that got taken away because of COVID or something, and then they just said fuck it and made the movie anyway. Like, it felt like it should have been a Blumhouse movie. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do too much research about this movie. Apparently, they made a short of it in 2016. And then that might have given them funding to make the feature-length version. So, like I said, I didn't do too much research, but it might have kind of blown up originally when it had come out. 
Yeah, so that's like a Houses October Belt situation. Yeah. That's cool. I think it's worth checking out. It do, it just doesn't fit right now. I don't know why they're releasing in October. This this would have been a lot better to release earlier in the year. Yeah, I mean, to me, there's nothing about it that's specifically October related. I mean, other than it's just another horror movie to watch. And I mean, you know, a lot of people watch The Exorcist in October, and I don't really find that a, a strong October movie either. But yeah, and I, some people just like exorcism movies. Yeah, and when the press release came. When the press release came out for Shutter's 61 Days of Halloween, the Cleansing Hour title itself stood out. I think it's a good title. Yeah, that definitely sounds cool. That was pretty decent. I, I want to see the next thing they do. I hope this gets some theatrical funding. Yeah. I feel like they could do something cool. Yeah, I would definitely watch uh, more from this guy. The next movie we have is really exciting for me. It's They Live Inside Us. It's from our friend, written, directed, edited, produced, and shot by Michael Balif. That was a cool title to see come up. It was like every yeah. big thing. <laughs> every important thing. He did thing. himself, which <laughs> oh was awesome. So we've been looking forward to this for a long time. We talked about their anthology series a couple of years ago on the show. He's a Utah-based filmmaker who just funds everything himself does a really good job doing it and he took the best short from that anthology series they live inside us kept the same cast kept the same look and feel kept the same basic story expanded it out to a 90 minute feature that honestly i think is really good thankfully it always sucks when you get hyped up for something and then you're friends with the people making it and then it comes out and everyone kind of is aware that it isn't very good but then you kind of still you can't be a dick about it even i wouldn't want to be but this time around i'm like god thank god it was so good <laughs> so the log line is seeking inspiration for a new writing project a man spends halloween night in a notoriously haunted house he soon realizes he's living in his own horror story so the basic setup here is a guy named jake who's played by james morris he goes to this haunted house and he's trying to write his new story but he keeps writing cliched stuff so that's where the anthology feel comes in he writes a masked killer story, which there's a clip from that on my YouTube channel if you want to go see it. He writes a scarecrow story. He writes a killer clown story set during a harvest festival. And he always gets right to the end, and it's super cliche, and he throws it out. All the while, there's this deeper story going on where his wife is dead, his daughter can't walk, and he's extremely stressed being a single dad. And then there's a turn around the second act and you realize what's really happening and it gets super dark and it wraps up in a way where you see why he's writing these stories or like why he's writing cliched stories instead of like looking inside and finding the real story he needs to write and i i thought i thought it was losing me towards the middle but then when it all started to come together towards the end i was like damn this is really fucking good yeah definitely uh, I think the the premise of it is really interesting and a cool way to do an anthology movie. You know, having a writer write out these stories and seeing them play out in front of us is just a cool way of doing it without just showing us the shorts. It's like a nice intro leading into them. Uh, I thought that the shorts were done extremely well. They are the makeup in them is incredible. The costumes look so cool. Uh, the the cat mask killer and the scarecrow both look amazing. Uh, the clown is extremely well acted. Uh, I, I was just a huge fan of all those like quote unquote cliched stories that he tells throughout it. I thought those were done really well. They you know, shot in like kind of diverse situations, so it didn't feel like you're watching the same slasher short over and over again. Uh, really, really well done. I'm gonna get into minor spoilers here 
just so anyone's listening and you should definitely check this out before listening to the podcast i would say because there's a there's a lot of story stuff here that you would pick up on anyway from the short film because it's so similar to it but i'm going to talk about when i started realizing different plot beats so if you haven't seen the movie and you plan on watching it i would pause the podcast go check it out and come back and that that was your warning so i'm going to spoil it now so i started to pick up on the fact george that danny was dead uh when the Count Spookula thing was on the TV. Because the real twist here is that in all of these stories, the Jake, James Morris, is playing all the different monsters. But obviously when the mask killer's on screen, you don't know it's him. The Scarecrow also is wearing a mask, so you don't know it's him. But then the clown, you can't really put a mask over the clown. So they did as much makeup as possible to kind of hide it. And then that's when I'm realizing like, oh, the clown is... James, and then they cut back to the mass killer a couple times, and I'm like, yeah, that's him too. And then Count Spookula, who's kind of like the public access Joe Bob in this movie, right. I noticed right away that was him. And he gets offended when Danny, his daughter, is talking about how it's not that good. And she's also upset with him at how bad of a dad he is. I'm like, oh, Danny's dead too. <laughs> did did you pick up on that pretty quickly? Uh, No, I mean, for me, I... I picked up on it basically as like all the pieces came together at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, definitely when there was those scenes of him, like the extended scenes where he'd be at the computer and then there'd be like a time jump and he would get up and look around the house and weird things had occurred. I was like, there's obviously something different going on here. Um, kind of got the wheels turning. And then once there, there's that really awesome like conclusion scene where he kind of walks through all the stories that he has told through the movie. That's when it all kind of like clicked into place for me. Yeah, that was really fucking cool. I liked when he was in the stories too. And I will say that the mask on the scarecrow has big trick energy. It kind of feels like a very similar mask. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I was like, that's awesome. I love that. I like the diversity in the shorts too, even though they all kind of result in the same thing, like someone chasing someone else. The harvest festival one definitely stood out where the, the girl like ends up in the lower bowels of the festival. And that's where she meets the clown, but her running through the carnival, I thought was sick. I love that. That was that made the movie feel a lot bigger to me. Yeah, I mean, obviously we were expecting some amazing fall atmosphere shots in this movie from what we got in the original anthology film, The Witching Season. Um, and it did not disappoint. There was plenty of amazing fall atmosphere, like you were saying, the festival shots, just the, um, like even in the killer one, it's Halloween night and we see the street with a bunch of houses decorated, kids trick-or-treating. I mean, a lot of great fall atmosphere in this movie. Yeah, and I love that he didn't fall back on that fall atmosphere or the anthology as a crutch. He put the good story, like the deep, scary story, which is really smart because it's about a writer, underneath all of this to really hold it up. And that was so smart because, you know, he's basically remaking a short he's already made. And he could have just, you know, done it the easy way, kept it super simple. But he worked in this new aspect that I think really paid off. I think... Also, for an indie movie that was made by pretty much one guy doing most of the work, he went a lot bigger than other movies in his uh, weight class would with the story specifically. And I I thought that was so cool that he actually paid it off because that's a super big risk, right? Like if you have a story like that where it's giving you little bits and pieces all the way till the end when it reveals everything and all those pieces fall together... 
when it's a movie you're renting on TV, I feel like honestly some people could turn it off and just walk away. So you're really treating the audience like they're smart and intelligent enough to stick it through and then rewarding them at the end with payoff on the story. The, the only gripe, honestly, I have is that James Morris is acting. It takes like a little bit to get used to when he's Jake because he's a, he's a quiet dude. He's really introspective. And you can tell that he just like doesn't have a good deep connection with his daughter, right? Like he's frustrated with her all the time. He's He wants to yell at her because he's constantly taking care of her without his wife there. And I got that through it. It's just like some of the dialogue, he can come off just a little stilted. Yeah, I mean, I would say that would, I agree. That's kind of my biggest complaint with the movie. There's just, just some dialogue came off, just didn't connect right. Wasn't quite delivered the right way. Um, and just takes you out of it for a second. But I mean, really, once the, the story gets going, you don't really notice it. And the shorts are all, you know, extremely cool and well done. So you kind of like delve into those, then you pull back, then you delve into the next one. So it had like good pacing that way. Yeah, I want to say it comes down to just that's how it's supposed to be. Because I want to watch this again. Because I think it's coming off weird like that. Because he's technically arguing with himself when he's arguing with Danny. So he's catching himself by surprise. So it's just like a weird off-kilter situation to begin with. And then when you see him acting as the clown or the scarecrow or the mass killer, he does such a good job. Especially as the clown. He's got dialogue and he absolutely slays it. Like, I thought that clown dialogue was good enough where I didn't realize it was him for at least a minute of that segment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, all the slasher segments I felt were extremely well acted. Um, but, yeah, I mean, maybe that was a intentional choice because, like you said, you know, the psychological aspect of it, of him arguing with someone who's not really there, maybe that was intentional um, for it to kind of feel off like that. Another hint that I saw that Danny is not real is when he looks down into the sink and he's washing a bloody knife and then she sees it, but it's not actually there. But Danny still sees, you know, like she yeah. sees it and they have that moment. I was like, oh shit. Like, yeah, she is dead, which is really cool. And so the story I pieced together is that his daughter can't walk. Right. Right. And his wife was probably taking care of her while he was shut inside himself working on stories and it resulted in his wife kind of going crazy and killing the daughter so that they could be happy again because the daughter no fault of her own took like a lot of toll on the family and so he had to kill his wife to get her away from him because she was going to kill him and herself after she killed their daughter does that make sense uh, I mean, I was with you. To me, I felt like the him killing her at the end was just more so out of, like, grief. Like, couldn't believe that, you know, his wife had actually killed their daughter and, like, had to basically end her. Like, that was how I took it, but I think it's open to interpretation. See, the reason I think she was going to kill them, like, is because <laughs> if he killed her just because she killed their daughter... That's still murder. Like, he would be in jail for that. That's not, like, self-defense, you know? But he's, like, clearly out and going and spending this night at this house to write a story. So I was, like, trying to think of it in a more complex way. We're like, how how could he kill his wife, right? Because where is his wife? He says multiple times she's dead. I mean, maybe maybe she did kill herself. Maybe she did kill herself after 
she killed the daughter, which would be extra fucked up. Yeah, it's extremely and, dark. Like, at the end of the day, no matter what the true outcome is, it's a very dark story. But I think told yeah, in a great way. And there's, like, other hints. Like, he finds the ghost sheet he cuts in the bathtub. And then he finds his daughter drowned in the bathtub. It's like, oh, shit, your wife fucking drowned your daughter because she couldn't walk. Because that's the thing that's fucking with him, right? Like, that he's constantly having to carry around his daughter and, like literally and uh metaphorically it's just really fucking dark yeah definitely <laughs> you know, a like... dark tale but I, th- I think it's definitely consumable like i think the average person could watch this and totally understand it and get on with that and and swallow the pill of the story being that dark yeah dude it's fucking crazy so overall i think he just knocked it out of the park honestly like there's just very minor complaints like the editing was great visual effects were great there's kid actors right at the beginning of the film which is you know always a risk they did a good job i thought telling the story of the house and how setting up this house is having different backstories like oh a witch lives there it's like no i heard that you know a guy killed his whole family in it kind of like the amityville house right that set it up well as the local haunt you know yeah definitely i mean that you know is great world building sets up the haunted house on the street that everybody kind of knew growing up and he put in those bastille or whatever you say it uh classic halloween decorations the masked killer's mask that cat mask was fucking sweet i want him to make a slasher movie because there's a part in the movie where it's constantly cutting to a ripoff of uh slumber party massacre one yeah yeah and that looked like an awesome movie on its own so like it's very clear to me, just based on the production design of that masked killer who's burned to shit and has this cat mask and looks awesome, plus the mini slasher movie he made, like, this dude can make an awesome slasher movie. Yeah, I would... I think. I'd say he definitely has the chops, and, I mean, he's shown it so far in two, these, you know, these two things coming out, so... Uh, I mean, if that's something that he wants to do, I'd be totally down to watch that. Yeah, it's super inspiring, too, just seeing another YouTuber come up and make a movie that's getting distributed and has an awesome poster an awesome soundtrack which again we didn't even talk about the soundtrack the soundtrack is great it's it changes between the shorts and the main plot and it matches up with where it needs to perfectly there's just so much to praise here and i i'm just glad that michael delivered because i i knew for a long time he had a lot of talent and he's been a huge supporter of my channel so I, I wanted him to knock it out of the park, and I really think he did. Yeah, I thought personally. he did a, a great job on this. And I will say, if you guys watch the movie, which hopefully you have by this point, uh, you should go to their YouTube channel, Witching Season Films. Not only watch the original short, because you can see how some actors were changed. For the most part, he used all the same actors, but he switched some how, some actors showing up as certain characters is different in the actual movie compared to the short, which I thought was interesting. Also, you can see the full extended Count Spookula show that he made it's like 20 minutes or something oh that's pretty cool i had actually filmed something like that uh and then there's like a vhs version of the trailer there's a ton of short clips he's got this halloween atmosphere thing that's very obviously similar to the gulag but i think better because it's just awesome the new gulag is hard to beat but the other two gulags i think he outdid so definitely check out the witching season also the movie's like six bucks to own i think on itunes it's super cheap he really just made it's it feels like a passion project from top to bottom which is another reason i love it so if you want a halloween movie to watch this year that isn't bad and disappointing like the one last year we watched 
Uh, I think you couldn't go wrong with this. I gave it four stars. I would agree with that. And I'd say definitely, you know, go out and support him because he deserves it for putting out something as good as this is. But that's all I got, George. You got anything else to talk about? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Cool. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne. You can follow George at George Frizzard slash Oddest George on Instagram. You can follow the show at Fear Frequency. We'll catch you next week, probably with Cortland, I would say, so we can talk about the short film. Bye.